This morning I'm going to be reading from uh, Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, and I'm going to be reading uh, verses 1 through 4 and then 9 through 14. May the Lord add his blessing to the word as I read it. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. Verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord, so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath, On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb, a year old, without defect, together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. You must not eat any bread or roasted, or new grain, until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be an everlasting ordinance for the generations to come, wherever you live. Amen. Shabbat shalom. To say that this has been quite a week is somewhat like implying that the ocean is full of water. By the way, I was delighted, and uh, Linda, I'd like to embarrass you momentarily. On Facebook, uh, she put a post on our congregational um, page that called people to remember not just what happened, but to remember who is firmly in control. Who I like you say. Amen? And there was a picture of the lion, the lion of Judah. And this is a huge reminder for us when we go through circumstances that are difficult, challenging, regardless of what they are, the focus for us always has to be where is God in our life? Where is God in what is taking place in our life? What is God doing? Because we know from Scripture that God is always at work both to will and to do His good pleasure. Sanity savor for me. I don't know about you. But uh, I was struck by the fact that um, there were a number of events that seemed to be in someone's mind to be appointed times. Uh, You may be aware of the fact that the Boston Marathon is, uh, this year's was the 117th marathon. And by the way, um, Leah and and Paul, uh, James and Linda's daughter and son-in-law, attempted to qualify. They didn't come. And uh, we want to say, Baruch Hashem, praise God. 
They really did not need to be at that particular marathon. But it's amazing, you know, when you think about it, people step back and they have, we have our plans. Uh, there were somewhere about 27,000 runners, uh, hundreds of thousands of spectators. Um, they all had their ideas, their plans. Then along you had a couple of Chechen boys who had their ideas and their plans. By the way, if you're not familiar where Chechnya is, it's in southern Russia in the mountains, <coughs> a place of great violence, uh, uprising between the Chechen people who are Muslim, who are becoming radicalized and rising against the Russian regime. But they determined that this was the moment that they were going to act. It was their appointed time. And it set the whole country and the city of Boston uh, in a state of panic. You probably are aware of the fact that the entire city of Boston was in a lockdown. One million people could not go anywhere, could not go shopping, could not get in their cars, could not ride the, the, uh, the trains. Um, and it was very odd that one of the runners from the Boston Marathon left and came to a little town called West Texas only to see this massive explosion of the fertilizer plant and to, and to see more people get killed. Um, it's, been, it's been quite a year. And uh, between the Aurora Century massacre and, and uh, the murder at the Newtown, Connecticut, and uh, what happened this week, it brings to mind a reality that uh, for us who live in the United States, a reality that for Israelis has been part of life for decades. You know, in Israel, particularly anywhere, but for example in Tel Aviv, when you hear the siren going off, you have no idea if it's just an, an ambulance. Uh, or if it is the bomb squad racing to defuse a bomb. It's a simple reminder that life is fragile. Scripture tells us in, in the book of Psalms, chapter 90, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know, you sometimes go through life and you're oblivious. And uh, these kinds of occasions just bring you in touch with reality. And so I wanted to, pa to pause. You know, I've been talking about events and appointed times in the minds of people. And I want to pause and, and uh, ask the Lord to speak to us about what he considers appointed times. Lord God, we thank you that in the midst of the upheaval of this past week, we thank you, Lord God, for your presence in our life. We thank you, Lord God, for how you communicate to each one of us in ways that we can understand in our language. We bless you, Lord God, for reminding us that you're firmly in control and that you have 
a priority and a prior claim in our life. And Lord, as we begin this series on the later Moadim, the later appointed feasts, we desire, Lord God, to gain a heart of knowledge and understanding of what you consider to be appointed times. And we desire, Lord God, to learn more about them so we can learn more about you, Lord, and understand how to be holy unto you. Kadosh Lecha. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. Part of our challenge on a day other than, uh, on a week other than Boston, our challenge with the fast pace, everything that happens in our life, the nuttiness is to stop and recognize the fact that you and I operate according to God's schedule. And it is so difficult for us to get our arms around because typically you get up in the morning and what, comes, what first comes to your mind? You stand up and salute God and say, Lord, here I am, uh, private so-and-so, uh, ready for duty and whatever you have in mind, talk to me. Or do we get up and say, okay, let's see, oh, let's see, I forget, I, what do I need to do today? I, yeah, where's my uh, to-do list? Here it is, okay. Um, all right, let's see, in the morning I do this. Yes, I go to work, I have to do this and that and the other. How often do we begin life on a given morning and say, Lord, what do you have appointed for me? What do you have set in mind for me? What have you designated that you have for me to do, for me to learn, for me to receive on this particular day? And so I'm convinced that because we are often clueless that God makes it easier for us by saying, okay, since you often forget let me help you out and let me give you a schedule that you can follow. And by the way, forgetting is something that is so typical of people in general. If you, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, you see all kinds of examples when the Lord says, do not forget, do not forget, do not forget. And oh, by the way, if you forgot, do not forget. <laughs> when you get fat and sassy and, and, and you're doing well and things are going fine, and you're going to start to say, okay, all this is happening because I'm cute and clever. And you're going to start to pursue other gods, which in our case is not a big fat Buddha or Shiva and Krishna, but in our, in our case, it, it is the things that we consider to be most precious, the things that we invest most of our time and our energy. Those are idols. And be, because we pursue those things, God gets squeezed out of the picture increasingly. And we forget. And that's why the Lord sets these schedule of yearly cycles so that we can follow them and have visual reminders of who He is and what He did for us. And we've been celebrating that for the last couple of months, the Moadim, and we're coming to the last one which is going to we will be celebrating on May 18th, which of course is Shavuot. 
And I felt led to begin a series that hopefully by the grace of God will take us and prepare us for what God has in mind for us on that particular day. And that special day that we want to come with expectation and we want to say, Lord, in Scripture, this was a very special day and we, want, we ask you that you will prepare us that we would come and be receptive and willing and that you would come and download the good things that you have into us. You say amen to that. So in this chapter, which I'm sure everybody has read once, twice, uh, you have a list of the appointed times, the festivals. And by the way, this is not the only list. In the Torah, you have a number of other lists of holidays that have somewhat of a different emphasis. This one has the emphasis of uh, highlighting the role of the priest in the celebration of these, the festivals. And the Lord begins in, in verse 1 through Moses, the appointed feast of the Lord which you will proclaim holy assemblies, even those are my appointed feasts. By the way, this <coughs> phrase, appointed feast, Moadim, is mentioned five times in this chapter. The very beginning, the very end, and that's somewhat like bookends. You know, in the bookend you have uh, one on this side, one on the other side, and it holds all the books in the middle. And that's kind of a literary device that we often find in Scripture that is designed to catch our, capture our attention so that we get the fact that, okay, God is interested in, in this particular issue that he mentions here in the beginning, here at the end, and in the middle, it's going to be discussed. Like bookends or literary sandwich, whatever you, however you see it. Because... God wants to enable us to get the fact that there are times in our life that are holy. In other words, that you and I don't have claim to our life. And that's a tough one because our attitude often is, God, you've given me my life. Okay, I was born. Good. And... Um, I have all these things that I need to do. And oh, by the way, out of the goodness of my heart, I will give you this amount of time. And that's kind of our perspective. And it's absolutely the wrong perspective because it isn't, it, it isn't as if most uh, our life is ours and we give God little chunks, but rather our life, our resources, our money, our energy, they're all God's. They're all given to us. And that he has a claim on all of it. And that out of all of that, he des designates particular times that he sets aside for us to meet with him. He invites us to come because there are sacred times, those specific times that he calls and the Hebrew word 
for set or appointed times, Moed has the idea that God invites us and he plans to be there. He plans to be there. And I don't know, when you came in today, you know, often our, our thoughts are somewhere in the South Seas. You know, we are preoccupied. We, we, we run to get to service. We're late, etc., etc. And um, takes us a while to adjust to the fact that we are here simply to worship God. And I don't know if, if your spiritual antenna were set today, but at least for me, it was so eminently obvious that God has been here our entire service. And that was not about any of us. It was all about Him. And His presence was very much in reality, very much real to us simply because he invites us to come Shabbat, by the way, as you see this chapter and you see elsewhere in the Torah, Shabbat is one of those Moadim, one of those designed, one of those special times that God sets aside and invites us to come. And because he invites us to come, we have the confidence that, he, that he'll be there. And part of the picture, folks, because of our, what we call in Jewish mishigas, our, our nuttiness, is that we expect that when we come to worship God, that the only way that we will know that He's really here is that if fireworks take place, all kinds of wild and woolly things take place. Um, and yes, we want to see God's power displayed but it's not about the power it's about his presence and his goodness it's a very difficult truth for us to get our arms around God invites us he shows up and expects us to simply be available to listen to what he has to say to us through the whole service, not just through the message. But I hope when you come on a given Shabbat that you come in anticipation to hear from God from the moment the service begins, from 10 o'clock, from the time we begin to worship God, that you will come prepared and say, Lord God, please speak to me. I'm eager to hear from you. I'm eager to receive whatever it is that you want to download into me this particular Shabbat through the whole service. God says to Israel, these are my special feasts, special times, dates as you were, and I want you to call them as an assembly. And according to Numbers, these occasions were marked by the blowing of silver trumpets. Numbers 10. And they were to remind Israel that even though these events, which by the way were primarily agricultural, as you, as you read Numbers 
and the other lists, you see that they're primarily agricultural. They follow the agricultural yearly cycle, but they're not about agriculture. They're about God. Part of the picture is that, and I've never been a farmer. What little I know about farming, you can put in a thimble and have plenty left over. But farming life is very busy, and especially around harvest time. And that's when it really gets intense. And what God is saying to the people of Israel is, you stop. You stop what, what you're doing. Before you rush into the harvest or plowing, whatever it is that you do, you stop and you acknowledge the fact that I have prior claim to your life. And that you acknowledge that by giving me what is proper and what, is, what belongs to me, the first fruits. And then you go about your business. And by the way, first fruits biblically doesn't mean that you, you say, well, let's see, oops, I forgot. Okay, God, here are some uh, partially ripe uh, bananas and, and some dead oranges. Uh, I don't need them. Okay, God, I'll give them to you. No. Um, according to rabbinic tradition in the first century, what would happen, you have two basic approaches to that. You had the corporate and you had the individual. But the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the land, sent special representative to a particular field uh, that was picked out of an entire village or two. And they would wrap uh, a, a bunch of sheaves, the best-looking sheaves, and tie them with a ribbon and set them aside uh, to be brought as first fruits. They were the best. And by the way, what we're reading today is the first first fruit. There were two first fruits. Uh, in case you're confused, no worries. In Israel, the first fruit, the first crop that came up was barley. And that, we'll, we'll explain in a minute, that was during Passover week. And so that was brought first of all, and then 50 days later, which is Shavuot, which we'll go into greater detail in the next few weeks. Um, the second first fruits were the wheat and the other fruits that came along with them. So this is the first first fruit. But again, the Hebrew word for first fruit, bikurim, means not only the first things to come up, but also the best first fruits and there are very strong applications for us as believers in how we live our life how we give things to God for instance when we give our tithes our 10% to God which at Yeshua Tzion we, we take as a given as a no brainer that wherever it is that you belong wherever it is that God blesses you in, in making you part of a spiritual family, you give 10% to God's house. And that that came not from the leftover after you paid all the bills, but, but that came straight from the top, from the gross. 
Again, it's a statement you, that you make to God about how important He is in your life and how you value what He's given you and how grateful you are for the things He gives you. And if you find yourself quetching, God, how come I don't have this? How come I don't have that? How come I'm not like him or like her? Then you stop and you say, Thank you, Lord, for the first fruits, the blessings you have given me, the things that are visible, the things that I can understand and see. And I hold them up. I thank you out of gratitude and also in faith and expectation that you'll supply what is, what is needed, the rest. Scripture makes it very clear, both in the Torah and in the New Covenant, that what we give to God cannot be out of a resentful heart or out of guilt and manipulation. That's one of the reasons, by the way, why at Yeshua Tzion we don't typically pass a plate. Only exception is when we have special speakers. But we don't pass a plate because we understand the basic uh, dynamics that are involved when someone passes a plate. There's some kind of expectation from the part of the person who is sitting here and the person who is sitting here that you'll put something in the, in the plate. That's not how we see giving scripturally. And that is why we are giving, our time of giving is during the worship because it is an act of worship. We pause, we recognize it as an act of worship that we give to the Lord, <clears throat> not because somebody is trying to tweak us and manipulate us and get us to give. That is abominable, folks. It's abominable both on the part of the manipulator and on the person who is being manipulated. What we give to God has to flow out of a grateful heart and out of expectation that, that He will give us and supply what we need. And by the way, that is why one of the words that is used for giving here in this passage and elsewhere in the Torah is called tnufa. And the rabbis interpreted that to mean that, that it's a wave. And obviously, anything rabbinic you have one opinion, you have two or three opinions. Uh, but the majority opinion on that is that it's something that you wave before God. And, and the first fruits of barley, the way it was brought is that it was given. Again, I mentioned that there was a corporate. There was also in, an individual where a person would bring the first fruit and would stand before God. And with the... Um, first fruit offering and the priest would take their hand and wave their hand to, together side to side and up and down and that was an indication of recognition of the fact that God reigns over all corners of the earth all direction and part of rabbinic tradition was a desire to find out exactly what had to be done and define it to the nth degree and so they they determined based on what we see in the Torah in Levit Leviticus chapter 2 that the grain when it was cut it was brought 
to the temple or tabernacle and it was it was ground and uh, made into some coarse uh, coarse meal and that was brought before the Lord the rabbis determined that it was approximately two quarts of grain but again remember that what was important was the fact that God required Israel to stop at the busiest time of the year and consider that to be holy time a time that is set apart as an appointment to God we get that you know Shabbat morning according to the experts demographic experts is the worst possible day of the week to have a worship service everybody's tired exhausted worked all week Shabbat morning you want to sleep in and and yet part of the commitment to the Lord and a desire to worship him means you get up and you come and you worship him why because it is a sanctified a sacred time that belongs to him now the, the Torah passage here didn't exactly specify the actual date unlike Passover when we know it it was to be celebrated on the 14th of Nisan in the evening and um, here we don't have sp exact specification other than it states you will do it on the morning after the Shabbat and so in the first century people are ready to duke it out over this issue what does it mean after the Shabbat so you had the Sadducees that were saying Shabbat well the plain meaning of Shabbat is the seventh day and you had the Pharisees saying no it's not the Shabbat the, the, the Saturday but rather it is the Shabbat of Passover week in a sense of Passover being a special day of rest and, and worship as it happens the Pharisees won and so um, according to tradition first fruits is celebrated on the second day of Passover which would be the 16th day of Nisan which would be the day Yeshua rose from the dead Yeshua according to what scripture tells us is the first fruits of all of those who rose from the dead we look forward to that happening the days when I look forward to it with greater expectation than I did before but part of the picture here is that Passover and Shabbat were celebrated in the desert there was no problem about that well in the desert you really can't celebrate first fruits because you're not farming you're leading, leading a nomadic existence you're schlepping from place to place you know God says okay time to the the uh, pillar of cloud lifts and says okay we're moving over here and you pack up and you move you can't really fulfill these commandments so the Lord tells Israel in verse 10 speak to the Israelites and say to them when you enter the land I'm gonna give you and you reap its harvest bring to the to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest 
Now, you may feel it's eminently obvious, but part of the message that God said to Israel is, you have to wait before you can fulfill this particular set of commandments. And it really struck me of the fact that there are times, and by the way, these commandments, the set of commandments for the first fruits, would not be fulfilled for another 40 years while Israel was in the desert, and then another 20, 30, 40 years that it took them to conquer the land. So we're talking about 60, 70 years that Israel had to wait before they could fulfill this particular set of commandments. And what it struck me is that there are times that God gives us visions. You know, I'm not necessarily talking about apocalyptic visions, you know, science fiction kind of stuff, uh, looking stuff. But visions in the sense that God lays something in our heart and says, you know, I really want you to be heading this direction because I have prepared you and, and I have this particular calling for you. And of course, we in our expectation ex demand that this would take place within nanoseconds, you know, that we can enter something to the computer and boom, the vision would be accomplished. Or, you know, today with the uh, 3D printer, you know, you can put instruction and out comes some kind of a product. But you know, what you find in Scripture is that typically there's a lag period from the, t from the m moment that God gives you a vision until it comes into reality, until it becomes actualized. And that's the difficult part. You know, when God speaks to us and we wait and we wait and we wait and nothing seems to happen, then our attitude, our inclination is to do something like, okay, I, I, I must have been uh, dreaming, it was last night pizza. Uh, you know, something came over me, it really wasn't God. Either take that kind of a perspective Or else start to grumble at God and say, okay, God, um, this is what you told me, and that's all very nice. That's option A, but I've got to live with option B. I've got to get on with my life. And you see that with all the great giants of the faith in Scripture. Beginning with Father Abraham, the father of faith, that God says to him, you're going to have a bambino. And nothing seems to happen. And, and Abraham says, okay, God, I've got to get on with my life. Here's option B. Eliezer is going to be my, my inheritor. And God says, no, not Eliezer. You're going to have option A. Well, well Sarah comes along and says, um, Abraham, we need, uh, we need a plan here. God doesn't seem to be coming through. So let's come up with option C here with Hagar. No slam on Abraham or Sarah, who were called the father of faith, the mother of faith. But it's a simple reminder that God gives us visions, dreams of what he wants to do in our life. And we wait. 
And there are two basic challenges here. One is, first of all, the challenge to faith, the struggle of faith, where we say, God, I've heard you, and I've asked you for confirmation. You've repeated that to me again. So yes, I get it, and I'm somehow going to wait in expectation that this vision will come about. So first of all, it's a challenge and a struggle to faith. And then the, the other one is the challenge to faithfulness. That once God brings us into a place where we can carry things out, we get distracted. You know, we go off to one direction or another, and, um, and God in his mercy has to reel us back in and say, and say to us, okay, do you remember back here I gave you a vision? And uh, you said yes. And you said yes more than once. And now you have the means. And what's up with this? How come you're not following through? And so for me, this, the bringing of the, of the, the first fruits from, from the time God gave Moses the, these instructions and from the time that he spoke them initially and then reiterated them 40 years later on the plains of Moab, that all of that required a basic commitment to hear and to follow and to obey both faith and faithfulness. And all of that had to be done before God. The Israelite was to take the first fruit and wave it before God in verse 11 so that it will be accepted. What does it mean to be accepted? Well, you can do things for God where your heart isn't in it. And, and here, this passage emphasizes the, the fact that when we come and when we bring things to God, we do it in the presence of God. That God is right there with us watching and hearing and discerning where we are. And if we do it with the right heart, with the right motive in bringing those first fruits, then yes, they will be accepted. They'll be delightful. And that's true not only of the first fruits of grain, but also of the lamb that was brought if you notice, the, the instructions require that this would be a lamb a year old that was blameless. And there are two things about that. First of all, a year old meant that the lamb had never been used for another purpose. Strictly set apart for God. And second of all, there was blameless. It was not one of these things where you say, <coughs> okay, well, I've got something left over here. God, here you go. No, it had to be something that was brought that was the best and it was brought before God in the presence of God. And it would be accepted. In fact, in verse 13, we're told there would be, and I won't ask you to pronounce it, Reach Nichoach, a sweet-smelling incense. Sweet sm smell. It's not as if the smell of burnt grain or burnt flesh was delightful. That's really not the point. The point is when God would see that, the, that a person brought the offering and would see what was in their heart, that he would smile 
and that that offering would be accepted by him, that he would be pleased with it. And yes, it was something that was done publicly. So we have our expectation is when we give ourselves to God, when we give our time to God, when we give our money to God, when we give our energy to God, that we remember that it's done in His presence, that He's watching. You can't snow God. And that if we do it out of a heart that, that is eager to bless Him and to acknowledge His rule over our life, that we will have His smile and His favor upon us. That as we remember that He invites us to come into His presence, that He has designated these special times for us to do that, as we remember that and as we make a commitment to do that, that what Scripture tells us is that God will meet us there. And I don't know about you folks, increasingly that's becoming more and more my purpose for life. And I want to encourage you as we prepare for Shavuot, about 28 days from now, that you take a moment... You know, in a moment or so, we'll stop and, and um, pause and worship God. And, and, and I want to encourage you as we stand in a moment that you simply say, God, I want to expect, I, I want to see something special from your hands in my life during the next 28 days. Not just selfishly, but because you invite me to come and I want to come, I want to meet with you, I want to give you my best. And I want to experience your smile of affirmation. Let's pause and pray. And would you please stand? I want to simply toss out a couple of questions for us to reflect as we worship the Lord, as we stand in His presence. What kind of expectations do you have from God? Do you know that God wants to meet with you personally? that He requires that you take the time that He designated and set it apart. What do you see God, what, what do you desire for God to do in your life the next 28 days as we prepare for Shavuot? Scripture was a time of the 
pouring, outpouring of the Ruach, the Spirit of God in the time of the giving of the Torah. What do you desire God to do in your life? Abba Father, we bless you. We thank you for your presence in our life. We thank you, Lord God, that you who dwell in a high and lofty place in our eternal, that you desire to dwell with us who are contrite and broken in heart. Lord, we come to you in, in great humility, recognizing the fact that we're not worthy and grateful, Lord God, for your chesed, your covenant-committed, loyal love towards us, Lord. We pray, Lord God, for that zeal, for that hunger for you, Lord God, to go deep with us during these 28 days. Lord God, that we would long for your presence, long for your reality, Lord, long to see you at work in our life, and that we would respond, Lord God, lovingly and, and generously to you. Lord, that we would not only make that commitment, but follow through, Lord, on our special times with you, Lord, both individually and corporately. Lord God, we pray that you would come and that you would bless us, Lord God, with a strength and measure of your presence. And we ask this all in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.